Welcome to week two of Ask Me Anything. All right, so today's Ask Me Anything series is what is the role of women and is specific to their roles in the church to lead, to teach, and to preach? Yeah, I don't know how this made it into the top five. Um, but you guys voted, so therefore I have to preach it. For some of you, this may come that that doesn't come from a more traditional church background um, or s for some of you that are kind of new to Christianity or are still exploring Christianity, this may come off as a weird question. It may even be a non-question for, for some of us. Um, I was actually a little surprised that this actually made it in. Um, I didn't think that this would be so much of a concern for our body, but I, 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 I guess it is. And so we're going to ask this question today, and I'm going to do my best in answering the question. So I grew up in what you can say is a more traditional church, a traditional Chinese church, traditional Chinese Alliance church. Um, so if you know that background and that history, you know what I'm talking about. However, this question was never a question in my mind, and it was never a question in my church's mind. And the reason is because one of the pastors in my church was a woman. Uh, Pastor Lydia was pastoring the young adults in the youth ministry in the Chinese congregation of our church. And Pastor Lydia not only was a pastor of the church, she was also a tenant of my family. And so I grew up living with her uh, as a tenant in, in, in my home uh, for over 10 years. So I never ever thought that women could not serve in church. Pastor Lydia, uh, preached on the pulpit ministry. She was always leading and teaching uh, and speaking to the youth and the young adults uh, in our church. So without hesitation, growing up with that, I would never hesitate to say, yes, women can lead and preach as pastors in the church. So why is this a question and where does the root of this question come from? Well, it does come from the Bible. So the first verse that we're going to take a look at is in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35. It says this. It says, The women should keep silent in the church, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also sa says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husband at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. And the second verse we see is actually in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. It says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So this is the reason why this is even a question. This is the reason um, in why churches, there are certain churches and certain denominations and certain practices of the church that will not allow women to become pastors or teach or lead as deacons or elders in the church. So today, I'm going to unpack these verses for us. Hopefully, it'll be something that we learn so that we can, when we are challenged as a church with this, we not only know why this is a question, but that we have an answer to it. All right? So let's pray. Father God, we just lift up our worship and our, our, our service unto you right now. Lord, may you speak through your your words that you have given us, and even these 
verses that we may not fully understand, we ask for your wisdom and your discernment in how we are to approach these things. So, Father God, we just pray that your spirit is here, that it is here to, to comfort, to, to teach, uh, and we just ask that we, we come with a learning spirit and a learning heart. So, Lord, we tackle these things because we want to lift up the church. And we lift this time into your hands. May you be glorified. May you be known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I had a very hard time in prepa preparing this sermon because it's very easy for me to go into a, a teaching mode and not a preaching mode. And so I'm trying to juggle when to just teach because I actually really enjoy teaching and I could stand for hours up here and, and really nail this down for you guys. But I also know that this is a moment for the church to be able, able to exemplify kind of who God is and what God is doing in the church. So this question that we have has been debated many, 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 many times throughout the history of the church. There are many, but many different views on it. And so as I answer this question, you may or may not agree with everything I have to say. But I'm going to try my best to present to you my opinion in what the Bible is saying and in the context that it is written. German theologian Rupertus Meldinius said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. What he's saying is that, as he, he, he says this, he's saying that we have essentials in the church that, that we need to be united on. And these essentials are like the divinity of Jesus or if the Bible is true. These are the doctrinal truths or the dogmatic truths. And in these things, we have a united front across all churches. It means that we are all together in, in these things and the, all churches agree and believe in the same things that we put our faith in. And then there are non-essential e non issues, things like the topic that we're going to be talking about today, whether women are allowed in leadership, um, when are the end times happening, things like that, whether women need to have their heads covered. These are non-essential things, and in these things, there is to be liberty. So throughout the history of the church, there are all kinds of disagreements about things. That's why we have all these different denominations and practices and all, all of these things. Yet it remains, yet even though that there's these disagreements, the church still remain united today. And that's one of the, one of the things I want to focus on, is that the church still remains united. But then he ends with it, is that in all things charity. That means that we are to love one another and that we are to respect one another. And it is with this spirit that we come into this question of women in leadership, right? So let's dive in. So we know that we need to start somewhere. So let's start in Genesis. I'm not going to go through the whole Bible. Don't worry. <laughs> Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God saw that everything that he made... And behold, it was what? Very good. So when God created humanity, he created both men and women in his own image. There, 
in his own image, so therefore men and women are both image bearers of God. This does not mean that one is over the other in terms of how God sees us or that there is inequality in the way that we approach God. So as the church began, we actually see that, Paul, that, that Peter actually laid out the foundations in his sermon at the Pentecost. In his sermon, he quotes the prophet Joel, and he says this about the church. Acts 2, chapter 17, you find these. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Right from the beginning of the church, this sermon that Peter gives launches the church, and that the mission of the church and the vision of the church that God is going to what, pour out his spirit into the church. So in the biblical standards is that there that is one where men and women at the prophetic level will be ministering and it's not just reserved for men. So we can see that the Bible lays out the strategy for the church. If we look at the ministry of Paul now, because these two verses that we're going to be looking at is actually written by Paul we actually see that women are a very, very strong partner for Paul throughout his ministry in the New Testament. We have people like Phoebe, who was a deacon, who actually not only uh, was part of the leaders of the church, but Paul respected her so much that in verse 16, she says that Phoebe has become a leader of many and that he entrusted Phoebe to deliver the letter of Romans to the Roman church. Like that's a big, big deal because it's not just about the delivery of the, of, of the letter. It was also about now I'm going to deliver the letter to the Roman church and I'm going to teach what Paul has to write in the, in the book of Romans. We see people like Prisca and Aquila, deacons of the church. We see people like Mary, like Lydia, all heads of the church, of, of house churches all across in Philippi and, and, and Ephesus. We see Unia, the apostle, who was imprisoned alongside Paul. All of these women were leaders in the early church and played important roles during the beginning of the church. So, where did these two verses come from that I've read in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy? Are they contradicting how Paul did ministry as he wrote these two verses? First of all, we understand that Corinthians and Timothy were written, are letters written by Paul. Corinthians is to the church in where? In Corinth. And Timothy is a letter to? Timothy. It's not a trick question. <laughs> so Paul, along with these two books, Paul wrote pretty much half of the New Testament. And all of these letters to the early churches that he has planted. So we have to ask ourselves the question, if women are not allowed to lead and preach and teach in the church, then why is it only written in the book of Corinthians and in the book of Timothy? The letters that Paul gives in these warnings that, um, that he, he's giving, why are they not written in a consistent structure throughout all of Paul's letter and should have been included in Romans, Galatians, Philippians, and Thessalonians as well? but yet it is so specific only to Corinthians and to Timothy. So we need to dig a little deeper. 
So first, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says the women should keep silent in churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them, sp let them ask their husband at home for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. So we have to look at the entire context of where these verses are. We can't just dive in and say, hey, these are the verses, therefore, now this is a blanket statement. We are not now not allowing women to teach and preach in, in our churches, which is where some of the churches that we find today that is more traditional tend to do. So we have to look at the bigger picture of where this verse actually comes from. These verses are in a passage where Paul is addressing the orderly worship of the church. So he's addressing a church that needs order. So we have to look at the church in Corinth and, and, and why Paul is writing this to the church in Corinth. In Corinth, the church was messy in the sense that there was no order happening in their worship services, that people were prophesying and speaking in tongues, but it was chaos. People were doing all over each other. They were speaking above each other and, and out of turn. And so what Paul was doing, he was taming the chaos and giving structure to the church. So when we come to the, the, these verses that we read in chapter 14, that women should keep silence in the church, we need to look at the context that it is written in. Because if you look back just a couple chapters in the same book in 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 5, it says this, but every woman who prays or prophesies with their heads uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if their head were shaven. So if we look at these two verses side by side, we see that women are praying and prophesying in the church. So how does it, how, why does Paul write that in verse 11 and then in verse 14 say that women need to be silenced? It cannot, therefore it cannot mean that women should be silent because Paul said that they can pray and prophesy in the church as long as they cover their heads. Which, again, we need to look at the cultural context, the cultural reference. You see, there are things that if we continue to unpack these things, it gives us examples of how we are to read the Bible. Sometimes there are things that are literal and things that we need to follow, and sometimes there, there are things that we need to take in cultural context. Because if we look at this, we also see that women need to cover their heads. I see, I see one woman that has covered their head today <laughs> in the church. Right? Cultural context. We need to know the cultural context. Why is the early church that women need to cover their heads? Women cover their heads, and it's only married women that actually covered their heads. Right? And it was in the culture that that was actually appropriate, and so Paul speaks to it that we need to cover our heads because, because if her head is un uncovered, it dishonors her head the same as if her head was shaven. Now, we, we need to apply this specifically to the Corinth church and to the, the, the culture that they're in. Because if we look at the cultures around the world, there are many cultures where women actually shave their head and it does not dishonor them. But in the Jewish culture of that time, in that place, for women to shave their head was a dishonor to the woman. If he wrote this to an African church, it would probably be different. Because in Africa, a lot of women shave their heads because of the temperature of the environment that they live in, right? 
And so we cannot say that, oh, women are not allowed to shave their heads and they're not allowed to, they have to have their heads covered. And that is a blanket statement that we have to write across the board for every single church because it's written in the Bible. We have to look at it and say there's, there's a cultural aspect to this and there's a, a, we have to contextualize what to take out of the Bible in this and what is the principle of it and what is literal, okay? Because if it is literal, then every woman in here needs to have their heads covered, right? I mean, when I was studying in Moody in Chicago, I went to a black church, very traditional. Women covered their heads. They all wear hats because it was written in the Bible. So th they actually have very elaborate hats, right? The women, oh man, like feathers, flowers, everything was just full adornment, right? Then the way that they dress, like Sunday best, I remember my first Sunday I went to church, I got in trouble because I wore jeans. <laughs> Come on, and I didn't wear a jacket, that's the other thing. I had a, I had a button up shirt on, but I, they're like, you're a man, you need to wear a jacket. But these are cultural things, right? They're not specific to blanket the entire church. So we need to, we need to look at these things in this way where chapter 11 says women pray and prophesy. Chapter 14 says women cannot do this. So why does Paul actually say this? So we need to look at how churches met back in those days. When you walk into church, Women sat on one side of the, the church, men sat on one side of the church. It was not like this, right? It's what I call Mennonite style because I went to a Mennonite church in Winnipeg and it was like that, women, men, right? There's still very traditional churches that still do that. Don't, don't mock it, it's, it's still there. If you walk into one of those churches, you better separate. But what was happening was in the, in, in, in the, church in Corinth, there was n a lack of structure. It was chaotic in the worship service. So Paul was addressing these things. And when he was talking about how, how women need to stay silent, he was addressing this because when women were sitting on one side of the church and men were sitting on the other side of the church, the women would start asking their husbands questions because they didn't understand what was either spoken or what was either prophesied. Back in the day, women did not have full access to education, right? They were not, women just, the role was very different. It's not like today. And so a lot of the times the women would hear something they wouldn't understand and they would yell at their husbands like, tell me what that actually means. So if we look at the scripture of what it's saying, it says that you should be silent in the churches so that you're not creating more chaos and more noise and more um, disruption. And it says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands where at home. So don't ask in the middle of church, but go home and ask for it, for it is shameful to do that, to be yelling across the room and saying, hey, what did he say? What did that mean? What Paul was trying to uncover here was he was trying to say, I'm bringing some order back into it. For in verse 33, it says this, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. So we have to look at the full context of that verse, right? This is how it ends in, that, in, the, in the statements 
of it. It says, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. He goes on to address this because women in the church were asking questions to their husband. And so he's saying, go home and ask your husband. Don't do it in the middle of the service. Do it at home. Paul was not saying that women cannot speak. He was clearly saying that they could pray and prophesy, as we see in chapter 11. But he's saying that women that are asking questions during the service need to be silent and go home and ask their husband. So Paul's writing in here is that things need to be done decently and in order. Paul's addressing the disorder of the church specifically to the church of Corinth and not the church at large. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. It says, Let a woman learn silently with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over men. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So Paul is writing to who here? Timothy. Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus. Paul starts a letter warning Timothy in chapter 1 of all the false teachers that are in the church, preaching a false gospel, blaspheming against, against the gospel. So Paul is encouraging Timothy to take action here. And in, in chapter 2, he starts saying, take action, be proactive. And he calls Timothy to pray. He calls and, 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 and really encourages Timothy and says, God is opening a great door of opportunity here for you. So Paul is actually addressing the whole church here. And so if we look at the expanded version of this, of where this is taken, it says, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So we look at this, and there's a lot to say about women here, right? Again, we need to dive into the cultural context. We cannot just take this at face value. In verse 8, before we go into this part, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I desire then that in every place that men should do what? To pray, lifting holy hands, anger, or quarreling. And then he goes, likewise, meaning that women should do the same thing. He's not saying that this is only reserved for men, but that women should be doing the same thing. But then he goes on to say that women need to be respectful in the way that they dress and not be so flashy. So we need to look at why does Paul have to go and say that? Well, it's because he's writing to Timothy, who's pastoring where? In Ephesus. Ephesus is an epicenter of culture. Ephesus also worshipped the goddess Artemis. Artemis worshipping was teaching women that they are sexual beings and that their dress was a reflection of that. And that in Artemis worship, that promiscuity was part of that worship. So Paul was saying... Don't do what the culture is doing. So, I mean, how many women here have braided hair today? Oh, Candace. Candace has lots of braids in her hair. <laughs> and it, it, spe it, it speaks specifically of 
of do not braid your hair, do not put gold or pearl or, 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 or dress in costly attire. And he was speaking because that culture of Artemis worship uses their outer expression, so the braiding of the hair, the pearls, all of those kind of things, was a sign of my worship unto Artemis, and it was a sign of promiscuity. And so Paul is saying we need to set ourselves apart. We need to look different from what the cultural aspect of, of, of Artemis worship was. And so Paul was saying you need to set yourself different. But we also need to look at the grammar in this. So we need to look back into the Greek. And as Paul was writing this to Timothy, he was talking about women in general. And then all of a sudden, he switches from plural to singular. Now remember, Paul was writing this letter not to the church, but specifically to Timothy. And it was an encouragement to, to Timothy. And he, if you look at the structure of how Timothy is written, he writes to Timothy as an encouragement, then to the church, and then back to Timothy, and then back to the church. And there's the format of how he writes is this A, B, A, B, A, B structure. I'm getting too much into teaching. Stick to the script. Um, <laughs> so we need to look at some of the things that Paul is writing to Timothy because they're very specific. Most likely, Timothy wrote a letter to Paul. So Paul was in, is imprisoned in Rome in this part during this time. He's in prison in Rome. He's writing this letter to, to Timothy. He was pastoring in Ephesus. Paul planted this church 10 years before this. And, and Timothy probably wrote to Paul saying, hey, there are these things that are happening in my church, and I don't really know how to deal with them. And so Paul is saying, hey, let me help you address these things. And he calls out the, the false teachers. He calls out some of the leaders that are in the church. He even calls out in verse um, in, at the end of chapter 1 that I've, I've given these people over to Satan because they're, they're, blaspheming, against, uh, they're blaspheming against the gospel. And, and so we know that there, there's these false teachers. And so we're, as you look at when Paul is writing these things, he all of a sudden switches from a plural to a singular, so he's addressing a specific woman. All of a sudden, he, he probably remembers that Timothy wrote about a woman that was preaching a false gospel, preaching something that was, that was, that was probably heresy or, or lifting up the worship of Artemis. And so he's addressing a singular woman and not to women at large because in verse 15, at the second part of 15, we see that that switch goes back to plural. So he goes from plural to singular and then back to plural. So what we see here in the scripture is probably focused on a single woman that is teaching. False doctrine, false gospel, false teaching. What we see here is that Paul is telling Timothy to silence a false teacher and that the specific woman needs to be silenced. So we see that this calling out of a false teacher, however, Paul has a very pastoral heart. We don't ever hear what the woman's the name is, but in many, in many places throughout Paul's letters, like he, he will not address people's names sometimes because he has a hope for them to change. So what Paul says here is like silence them but what does he say before that 
He says, let a woman what? Learn. Sometimes we, we look at this and say, well, they're just to be silenced. But Paul actually starts it off, let them learn. Okay? What they're teaching, they may not know that they're teaching a false gospel. They may not know that they're deceiving people. So let them learn. Let them learn with all submissive, submissiveness uh, and quietly. And we actually see the same thing of submissiveness and silence in, in 1 Corinthians. But we also have to understand the traditions of how the Jewish people learn. That in rabbinical teachings and in rabbin uh, rabbinical study, that the aspect of silence and submission is actually about wisdom. And that even as they were studying to become rabbis, that these two aspects of silence and submission were seen as a, a positive attribute of learning what the gospel has to say. And so Paul says, let them learn. Paul is be being very, very pastoral here. He's actually being very pastoral and saying, silence her, but let her learn. Let her come to the truth so that when she does teach again, let her teach what is right. In fact, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men, okay, who will be able to teach also, who will be able to teach another also. This word men here in Greek is the word anthropoi. And the word anthropoi actually refers to both men and women. Because if Paul was specific to men, he would have used the Greek word aner, which is specifically to male. But if we look at that verse, in the English translation, we've translated it as men, but we need to look into the Greek, and the Greek is actually about people, so it refers to both male and female. So in all accounts, to, the, to answer the question, what is the role of women in the church? Are they able to lead, teach, and preach? My answer to that is a resounding yes. And I am encouraged by that. I look at the church around the world and I see the fastest growing churches are in China and Iran. And most of these churches are planted by women. Why? Because when things need to be, be done, women step up. But that's another sermon because we need to... <laughs> We then need to start speaking about men and them not sp stepping up. As a church, when we approach this subject, I want us to approach with the fear of God more than the fear of what others think about our theology and the non-essential things. I don't want us to not move in a way because God, because God has entrusted women with certain ministries for us to miss out on what God can do in our community. I believe women are powerful. I believe women are used deeply by God. So this question for, for me is a no-brainer. And I invite you to come and talk to me if you don't agree with me. Let's have that debate. Let's duke it out. But for us, us as five stones, 
we will be operating in a place where women are in leadership, where women are seen as elders and deacons, and women will share the pulpit. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you. We ask this in all humility that you continue to lead the church in the way that your spirit leads it, that you empower people to do your ministry, that you inspire people to use their creativity and their talents to, to minister to the people around them. So Father God, may we read your word and when we take it in the context, in the cultural context, may we be able to, to understand fully just your heart for the church. So Lord, as we move in this church, we move both as men and women of faith that we could stand together and minister together side by side and that we are here to give you glory and be a witness and an ambassador of who Jesus is. So Lord, we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor John. <clears throat> so this is one of those doctrines that have been discussed, debated, written upon for hundreds of years. And my journey in this whole area started 30 years ago when I first came into pastoring. And one of the, the ways in which things can get acrimonious in how to come at this is the cultural piece. And so Pastor John brought in a lot of scholarly research around the cultural background. And that represents something that we call hermeneutics. How do we interpret the scripture? And when do we bring in cultural aspects and when do we leave it out? The thing about bringing in cultural pieces is that it can open the door to many different things. And it can be a slippery slope. So one of the things that happens when we interpret scripture, you think about pastors who are in Africa or China and closed countries, Middle East, and they don't have access to scholarly research. They don't have access to all the things that Pastor John brought out for us today. Are they then handcuffed because they don't have access to the Greek? They don't have access to historical scholarly documents? Can they arrive at the same conclusion as John just shared without going into all the cultural background? So there's a whole body of interpreting this that doesn't have to invoke all that scriptural stuff. And there's many debates within the cultural aspects that spin off into more discussions and more debates. And so obviously, practically speaking, at Five Stones, we've had women elders, we've had women preachers. Where we're landing is exactly where Pastor John spoke to us this morning. But there's a whole other logic in which you can derive how women can minister in this way purely without the cultural aspect. And it's important to understand that um, because then all the ministers that are in half of the world in closed countries could not arrive at this decision. And one of the key scriptures, one of the key hermeneutical principles coming out of the Reformation is that the scripture interprets the scripture. We don't have to go to outside sources in order to understand. I can understand the scripture because the scripture interprets the scripture. So... I just want us to be expanding in our understanding. Not only did John give us a, a wonderful presentation, but there's also a way to come at this that's just within the context of Scripture itself. 
We're excited at Five Stones to empower, enable women according to the Spirit of the Lord. We're not an equal opportunity employer in the ministry in the sense that we are all under the governance of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is on someone and anoints them to do something, we say yes and amen, whether they're a man or a woman. That actually is the bottom line. If God is anointing a woman, who are we to say no? That actually was the revelation that Peter had with the Gentiles when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And he's like, what? How can the Holy Spirit come upon the Gentiles? They're not even circumcised. And then when he talked to the leaders back at Jerusalem, they said, if God is doing this, who are we to resist God? So if the anointing of God is on a woman, who are we to resist God? And that's exciting. That means every single one of us, if we have the Holy Spirit working, calling us, we want to get behind you, we want to empower you, we want to help you. So Jesus, we thank you for your goodness, your graciousness, the call in every single one of us, man, woman. And Lord, that you have a place for us and you have used women vitally, God, in kingdom expansion. And we want to cover and protect and bring that liberty, God, to every woman uh, in our church that has that sense that they don't feel somehow constrained or burdened or in some kind of shadow or in a second-class position because she's a woman. Lord, if your spirit is on them, we say yes and amen. So we thank you, God, for just this sound teaching this morning. We bless you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great week.